Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. And joining me are Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. The menagerie of three is back, guys. Uh, Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy pros rankers for the past half decade. Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio at 9 a.m. Eastern. You can follow them in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker and Chris Raybon. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Raybon, you held down the podcast last week. Uh, you and Ian Harditz ran through the new play callers for each NFL team. Uh, everyone should be sure to check out that episode. Raybon, how is it going? It is going well. Um, just started uh, co-hosting a serious show, as you mentioned, Wednesday through Friday. So check me out there. But uh, yeah, it was a good pod last week with with Ian, sharp guy, hard worker, and uh, I think we had some pretty uh, valuable takes, so uh, I would encourage people to go back and listen. Yeah, it was good to listen to it. And uh, Sean, you and I took last week off from the podcast. It was glorious. Uh, (laughs) What did you do with your time off? Well, um, I've been developing a WNBA model and sharpening up our uh, pitcher strikeout props model, so I've been occupied with other sports. Glad to get back on talking about Fantasy football. I'm excited about this pod. The uh, the prop pods always get me pumped up. <laughs> yeah, that, there will be some squeaky chair. Uh, okay, as Sean alluded to right there. For this episode, uh, we are doing some props. We are previewing our official 2019 NFL player projections, which will power our customizable fantasy football cheat sheet. And that will be available for Action Network subscribers on July 1st, which is just a couple of weeks away. In this show, we are previewing our NFC player projections. Next, uh, next episode, we will run through the AFC. Uh, and then after that, we will be into the month of July, and we will do our epic position-by-position position podcast breakdowns. We are bringing back the skill game props. For each team, Sean, the odds maker, is going to give us one to two player props, which Raybon and I will presumably sharpen with our action. Sean, kick us off. Let's get going. All right, so we're going to start off in the NFC East with the Cowboys, Freeman's favorite team. Um, and we're going to do Ezekiel Elliott's total rushing and receiving touchdowns. Um, he's uh, only rushed, or he's only scored nine touchdowns each of the last two seasons after scoring 16 his rookie season. So I thought this would be a good one to cover. Um, I'm setting his over under this year at 11 and a half. Over. Cowboys forever. Let's go. I'm going under. Uh, I have him at eight right now. And uh, part of that is because I have his games played projection at 13. Um, That's essentially what he's averaged throughout his uh, first three years in the league because he did uh, incur a suspension. However, running backs do tend to miss about two to three games per year on average. And and being that uh, there is a little bit of danger of a suspension um, and touchdowns are just notoriously difficult to project. Um, and tend to fluctuate a lot year to year. I think he has a ton of touchdown upside, but um, I'm setting him at, at eight for now. I guess it's a little bit of a conservative project, projection. Yeah, I'm going way over. I don't even want to say how over I'm going on this because it's embarrassing, but he's underperformed the last two years 
on a, a per touch and per yard basis. So I think we're going to see uh, some pretty significant progression this year. You sure, Freeman? I mean, he's getting older. It's his fourth year in the league. I mean, that's, I know that's ancient for you. Yeah, that's true. That is pretty old. <laughs> I think the one thing that could help a little bit is the return of the center uh, to the Cowboys offensive line. So hopefully they will be a little more efficient. And uh, I think that could potentially turn into some more uh, scoring opportunities. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to split the line here. Uh, I figured since Raybon was voting for Zeke Elliott's game, games played to be the prompter, <laughs> that he'd probably be under because he had something on his mind. But yeah, I kind of agree with Freeman here. You know, Dak, um, he has to compete with Dak around the goal line for touchdowns. Dak had uh, five rushing touchdowns inside the 10 last year when he only had two uh, back in 2017. So I've been anticipating a little bit of positive regression for Zeke um, as far as rushing touchdowns. And then, you know, being more involved in the passing game, um, we should see him closer to the two to three receiving touchdowns. So um, I have 11 and a half that would lean towards the over here. I actually do have an interesting question on that. Um, I've heard, I think Ben Gretsch was writing about this and um, I've heard some, some theories that perhaps uh, the Cowboys are starting to realize that they may want to scale back Zeke a little bit. And if that were to happen, um, it would be in the passing game. Um, they do have a, a little bit more in the short area game now with Cobb and Witten back. Um, do you, do you see his passing game involvement kind of staying at the level it was uh, last season or kind of regressing a little bit to what it was the first two years of his career? Yeah, I think I, I have him regressing off of last year. I don't think he's going to match 77 receptions. So, uh, but I don't think he's going to go back to, uh, let's see, you know, around 40 receptions. I have him closer mm -hmm. to 60 actually. So yeah, sort of in between, but um, you know, more, it, they, they probably want to utilize them more in the passing game than they have in the past. So um, I, I just only have, have him regressing a little bit this year. I hear this chair creaking, Sean. I yeah. hear it. <laughs> yeah, it, you are already in midseason chair creaking. <laughs> uh, let's, let's go to the next one. We have the Giants. All right, so we got a couple of Daniel Jones uh, props. Um, so first off, let's go with how many games will he start. I have the overrunner right now at four and a half. I'm going over, Sean, you and I uh, got to meet up in LA and we, we discussed this. Uh, Justin Fan got tired of us discussing it. So he just, I think, forced us to make a bet on it. Um, the Action Network's Justin Fan, that is. Um, I, I have him at eight right now. Uh, looking back at the last five years, quarterbacks drafted in the first round, but not with the top two overall picks, which I think tend to be thought of in a little different light, a little better light than a guy like Daniel Jones. So I kind of excluded them. Um, but they're averaging eight starts. The median is nine. Um, there's only, it's only a 10 quarterback sample size, so a little bit small. But I do think that they drafted this guy high. And remember, he, he looks like Eli Manning. He talks like Eli Manning. The Giants, if they're going to put anyone in there, that's not Eli Manning. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be him. So I think this is finally the year that Eli uh, maybe doesn't make uh, the majority of the starts. Sean, what is this line again? Did you say four? Four and a half. Four and a half, yeah. I bet the under on this at three and a half. So I will easily take <laughs> this at four and a half. Given uh, what Raybon said, totally correct uh, on, on the analysis. But uh, I've also, I, I mean, I wrote an article uh, on the Action Network about this. Uh, I looked at, I believe, the last 20 years of quarterbacks and looked at guys drafted to teams within the first round, uh, teams that already had established quarterbacks on the roster. And those guys averaged sorry let me rephrase that on their median was 2.8 games played 
And I think that's a, a pretty fair number. I could see it going up to three, maybe four. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to take the under on this. I think the one thing to worry about, and I, I, I wrote extensively about this as well, on the Action Network uh, a few weeks ago was just if my one worry is, is John Mara and just the ownership because they've been really pro-Eli. And I think even the move they made in the offseason, you know, Beckham going and then bringing in Golden Tate, essentially just another guy that could gobble up about 90 catches a year and won't complain about Eli not throwing deep because everything Tate catches is, you know, four or five yards from the line of scrimmage. So Eli statistically – um, may not look bad because even last year, 66% completion rate, uh, highest of his career, 1.9% interception rate, lowest of his career. His statistics may not look quite as bad as he really is. And that's my only worry about how long it will take DJ to get in there. But I, I, I mean, the fact that they're essentially the same person, uh, I think this is the year. I misspoke. I actually just want to correct myself on this. The mean is 2.8 games played. The median is 0.5 games played. So the average is 2.8 games. But if you were to split the sample in half and have uh, 50% on one side, 50% on another side, the dividing line is 0.5 games played. Essentially, these props are trying to guess the median. So we're, we're trying to predict what's going to happen 50% 50, 50 of the time it's going to go over 50% of the time it's going to under. So yeah, four and a half is pretty high. But I agree with kind of what Rayvon's saying. And they've been kind of... Um, hinting like you know Shermer's kind of putting his hands up saying we'll see what happens on who's yeah. the week one starter so his stock is definitely going up on the over here yeah so we had another prop uh, for Daniel Jones um, so when he does make his first career start assuming it's this year um, I wanted to see what you guys saw on his um, rushing total projection for that game should be um, and right now I don't feel great about this uh, but right now I have it set at 28 and a half I will go under over. I'm splitting the action on three of these. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Where I landed, I'm, I'm at about 15 per game right now. Uh, reason being, Scott Barrett uh, wrote an article in his Metrics That Matter series talking about translating qu quarterbacks' college rushing production to the pro level. And what he found was that if you look at their career numbers per game rushing in college, about 41% attempts and yards and 28% of the touchdown. So uh, for Daniel Jones, averaged about 36 yards per game over his career. That, that works out to about 15 uh, per game uh, in the NFL. With college, it's kind of um, screwy because they count sacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, that's, that's, that yeah, is including so, it, but yeah. yeah so this, this projection, I was sort of going in and trying to extrapolate that a bit. I'm just watching a film. He does look like a guy that's going to pull down and run with it, especially early on in his career. I think, you know, especially his first career start, he might lean on the run a little bit. So that's why I said it a little bit higher. But that's why I'm saying I'm a little bit skittish on this project. I don't, I don't know, Sean. I mean, there's, he's supposed to be the next Eli Manning. Eli Manning, go run. <laughs> He's going to be Eli Manning. Right. I don't think you well, understand well, it. That's what Freeman were talking about when you, when you joined our conversation. <laughs> but I, I'm, you know, the Eli Manning com <laughs> the comparisons are just a couple points, but he, he looks more like a Blake Bortles to me, and um, I think that's more realistic comparison for his actual <sighs> playing style. So Yeah, I think his average game uh, in his first year will probably be under, but I think his first start – he will probably be a little likelier to, uh, as Sean said, pull the ball down and, and take off with it. 
Yep. All right. So moving on from Daniel Jones, let's let's go over to the Eagles um, and talk about Miles Sanders. We're going to do over-under on number of touches this year. And right now I have the line at 170 and a half. Under. I, man, I was banking on Rayvon being over there. <laughs> I've been uh, following the Action Network's betting advice all year, and they tell me to go under, so I'm going under everything. But no, um, so I went back and looked at uh, the uh, average third-round running back, um, you know, kind of guys in that range. Um, what they've done in year one, about 137 touches, uh, about 12.9 per game. So, you know, there are some games missed in there. But, again, running backs do tend to miss a, a couple of games per year. So I'm factoring that in. Um, I generally have, by default, running back projections set to, to 14, um, and then I adjust from there um, for individual cases. But I do think that we're underestimating the workload that Jordan Howard could get. I also think we're, we might be underestimating uh, the missed time uh, that, uh, that, that Sanders has incurred. He's been out with a hamstring injury. I was reading a quote from head coach Doug Peterson, and, and he used the words, you know, he did say, hey, we have to get him in the mix early but then he also he mentioned a lot about mental reps said we're going to slowly work him in um, and just see how he can help us so um, just just from those quotes I don't think anything will be handed to him uh, Peterson usually does go with a committee I think he's fine with the committee being two uh, I'm just not convinced that Howard isn't going to be kind of the Ajayi guy I've also heard the word change of pace thrown around around excuse me with Sanders um, so I think that 170 line is probably in the range, and it's fair. It's a fair line, but I'd, I'd go slightly under, especially with the potential for for injury, as he's already has a soft tissue injury. I totally hear what Rayvon is saying, and I think it would be prudent, given the hamstring injury so far, to take the under, and also given that Sanders is uh, is a rookie. But I'm going to take the over um, because I do think that he is dynamic enough, and I I mean they invested a second rounder in him. He was a five-star recruit going yeah. into college. Given what he did in his loan season as the lead back at Penn State, um, I think it was dynamic enough to warrant uh, a pretty significant shot as the lead back. And I think he will be talented enough to beat out Jordan Howard for a lot of the touches that otherwise would have gone to a guy that would have forced it into more of a committee. I think it will still be something of a committee, but I, I think that this team is going to be uh, run heavy enough for Sanders still to eclipse that mark. And then also I think he's going to get his touches through the passing game, uh, which I, th I think could be an underrated part of this. So I will take the over. Cool. Yeah. No, to be fair, I was anticipating both of you to be on the over. So Raybon basically took all of my talking points. So I, I won't <laughs> repeat them, but I, I basically I'm in line with Raybon on this one. So next up for the Eagles, uh, Dallas Goddard, total receptions this year. Over under 43 and a half. I think that is a really good line. I have it a little bit higher, so I will take the over. But I think that's a good line. I will go – let me see what I have it at. I will go under. <laughs> Barely, though. Barely. It is a good line. Um, I think he has the potential to get that amount. But it, what it really comes down to for me is that uh, – just kind of comparing him to a guy like Trey Burton, who let's remember there was a lot of hype surrounding him, especially um, as he kind of matured um, as that second option to, 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 to Zach Ertz. Uh, two and a half, uh, average 2.4 receptions in 23 uh, yards on 3.6 targets per game in 2016-17 with Peterson there. Um, so he only played four games without Ertz. In those games, he averaged 3.8 catches uh, 45 yards and one touchdown per game on 5.8. Uh, 
So I think if you're, if you have him kind of in that same Burton range, then he has to stay healthy and maybe exceed that slightly. Um, so it's definitely doable. That's why I think the wine is really good. Um, uh, and then he could exceed it, you know, if Ertz gets hurt. But right now, you know, kind of just median-wise, I'd say he falls a tiny bit short. There's a lot of balls to go. <laughs> yeah. Up. Yeah, and his, his 33 last year feels like his floor. Um, yeah. So there's a little bit of baked-in upside to his prop. Whereas, you know, we, we love betting the unders for a lot of these props because, you know, the, the median is typical higher. But for people like Goddard that, you know, he's going to explode if Ertz misses time, there's just a – a little bit of hidden upside in his props. So that's why I boosted just a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think he has so many outs because even if, if Alshon Jeffrey gets injured or Deshaun yeah. Jackson gets injured, really any other pass catcher on that team gets injured, I think that will result in more targets being funneled to him. So I, I think there are a lot of avenues through which he could hit the over. And I will say, I think the, you know, from a ceiling perspective, it's still really high for a guy that we're projecting kind of in that 40, 45 catch range. Um, because even if the the receptions, let's say, don't go over the total, I mean, he could just be highly efficient. Uh, we, you know, we, he has Carson Wentz, who's shown he can uh, really distribute the ball well to the tight end. We saw, I think, a play last year where Goddard had like a 90-yard touchdown or something like that called back. So this is an explosive receiver that uh, could, could one of those guys that could catch, you know, 35 balls and eight of them are touchdowns or something like that. So um, still like him as kind of a, a TE2 pick. Yeah, so just on a side note, um, I want to get your guys' thoughts. If Zach Ertz ever, you know, he ever misses a week, where do you think you guys would have Goddard ranked amongst tight ends? Tight end four? I would be a little more conservative to start, um, but I'd say, you know, the, that 45 cat, forty-five yards average that Burton had, yeah, it would put him in that, I think, top top six-ish. But, I, yeah, I'd probably have him about six, seven um, – uh, four is a little aggressive if Jordan, How uh, excuse me, if OJ Howard uh, is healthy because I think he's another guy uh, in line for a monster year. Yeah, yeah I'm in line with you. I, I'm probably a little higher because I think depending on matchup, I could see him hovering around, you know, tight end three to tight end seven for me. Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, there's a it's it's tough because it's there's a lot of competition for targets there. Suddenly, you know, you got Djax, you got the rookie Arcega uh, Whiteside, who, from all accounts may be involved especially around the, the goal line and the Eagles are saying anyway I mean I don't know if this is true but they're saying hey Nelson Algor is still a big part of this team he's still a slot receiver so I mean I expect them to use more two tight end sets but um, you know they always tend to have a lot of guys kind of there you know we think Goddard is going to be featured more during the second half of last season and what do they do they go out and acquire Golden Tate and I think Goddard his num Goddard's numbers didn't really um, improve that much in terms of targets going down the stretch so um, it's kind of it's, it is tough. All right, moving on to the Redskins. Um, Darius Geis, unfortunately, had to miss his entire rookie season with the torn ACL, and uh, apparently it was, you know, infected. So he's coming a little bit slowly. want to get your guys' thoughts on his rushing yards. So um, right now I have his over-under set at 680 and a half. I will take slightly under, but that is really close to where I have it. I, I'd, go, I'd go more under than that. Um, I, I don't – I just don't at this point have confidence in his health. I don't have confidence in him necessarily making Adrian Peterson a non-factor. And, yeah. I mean, Chris Thompson, you know, he's liable to miss a lot of games. I have his games played projections set ridiculously low. It's one of those guys that kind of go in and do a manual override. So I, I don't – I don't even have Chris Thompson playing double-digit games this year. I think he's my lowest running back projection. But if he's healthy, I mean, he was the Redskins' best player at times over these last couple of years. So I think he factors in. 
I just don't, I just see a lot of avenues where Geis doesn't. And I, I think the one thing where he does is if he just, he, he, he either goes under or way over. I'll put it that way. <laughs> right. But is that a two unit bet from you on the under? I'm smelling oh, like sure. a two unit. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, right. you, know, you got to be careful with your units, you know, but uh, you know, people <laughs> well, out there might be, uh, I don't know. I don't want to be Yoshing. I don't want to be Yoshing, but uh, <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I feel confident in the under. I've been low on guys uh, all off season. All right, heading over to the north. Uh, let's let's go with the Bears. Um, David Montgomery total touches this year. Um, I have his over under set at one forty five and a half. Over. I'm I'm probably going to be uh, too optimistic on Montgomery, just as I probably am too optimistic on Miles Sanders. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to hammer the over on that. I think they they drafted him with the idea of him being something like, uh, and, and they said this like they're Kareem Hunt, um, and I think he will play basically the Jordan Howard role, but uh, you know probably with more uh, impact uh, and certainly more impact in the passing game. So uh, I will definitely. Uh, what was the number you said there? <laughs> Well, since you're saying, oh, it's, oh, it was one over, but I mean, under, I mean, I, I forget. Um, it was just, it was one forty-five. That's that's why I mean, I just wanted to make sure I said the right number because yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I will I will easily take the over on that. I think that's a really good line as well. I actually have have him slightly under, um, but that's assuming he plays fourteen games. If he were to play the full sixteen, um, I would ha- he would go over. Um, even if he played if he played fifteen, he would be right on the dot. The one thing I think I think in in when you're looking at the Bears' backfield, uh, I, while I am bullish on Montgomery as a player, uh, I do think in terms of value relative to average draft position right now, uh, I think Mike Davis is the value because um, one thing they, they've kind of said is that they, they want to uh, reduce Tariq Cohen's workload a little bit and put you know more of a factor in the passing game. I think he gets less carries, um, but it is going to be a three-headed monster. And yeah. um, they actually, when they acquired Mike Davis, um, you know they're paying him more than Jordan Howard would have been paid. Um, so I think Jordan Howard was kind of let go for the reason that not a great pass catching back. Uh, Mike Davis did well in that area for the Seattle Seahawks last season. So right now, you know, I think Montgomery can, can come on and, and take a stranglehold of that role, but I'm not necessarily sure um, at what point that is. And I'm not sure that the Bears just don't prefer to have all of these guys involved, being that they went out and acquired um, Davis and, and gave him, you know, not a lot of money because running backs aren't getting a lot of money, period, but um, something, you know, something comparable or more than, than what Howard would have gotten. So I, I'm just not sure that Davis is as out of the picture as I think his ADP, um, which tends to be, he's basically free in a lot of ways, yeah. um, suggests. I mean, to yeah. Rayvon, to your point, um, I, I see what you're saying. And I think that Davis does offer value at his ADP because, I mean, yeah, he's going against a rookie and a guy who's really small. So you could see a path to him getting the number one job. But that said, like the amount of money that he's getting, like while it is similar to what Jordan Howard would have gotten, it's still a really small amount of money. So like they traded up to get David Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they've talked openly about how they do view him as Kareem Hunt. And I, I don't think that that's just sort of like a throwaway type of thing. Like obviously like Matt Nagy was there with Kareem Hunt uh, in his rookie season and the, the coach, the college coach, Matt Campbell, who developed Kareem Hunt at Toledo was David Montgomery's coach at Iowa state. Like they, there is a similar skill set there. And I think they are going to use him as a lead back. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I did, you know, I mentioned I'm bullish on him as a player, but let's remember what was Kareem Hunt heading into his rookie season. 
he was a number two back behind a more reliable veteran in Spencer Ware. Um, and Ware went down for the season, and that's when he got the job. So I think the upside is there. Um, but value-wise, I, I just don't – I don't have him projected where it's like Montgomery, you know, running away with the job. It's more like Montgomery's tiny, tiny uh, edge at this point. Yeah, those are those are great points that, you know, I want to be clear. We're trying to project the median here. I think we'd all love to see Montgomery get over 200 touches. Um, I think it would be exciting to see. But, um, you know, we have to project reality here. And I think people are drafting based on what they hope to see. I think he's going in, like, the fifth round now in uh, best ball. So, yeah. like you said, you know, the values – he's going to have to come close to the ceiling to hit value there. Whereas a guy like Mike Davis, like you said, he's free. And we already saw him spoil a rookie's – season last year with Rashad Penny. So you just got to be careful with these running back by committees and the touches are really hard to peg. So, you know, I don't think it's going to end up around 145. It could be a hundred. It could be 250. We don't know. That's the thing with these uh, rookie running backs is the range of projections is so wide that we really can't, you know, peg exactly where the median is going to be. So it helps, you know, to bounce these ideas off you guys and, um, you know, come on common ground. But yeah, the, the hype for him is, um, well warranted, but um, you got to factor that in your projections and kind of gauge where, where the value is, where he's going in drafts. Yeah, and I think um, at this point, so what happens is a lot of people, if you're kind of more casual player who doesn't start drafting your leagues till August, like like the majority of people out there, um, a lot of these average draft positions are shaped by, uh, you know, us kind of guys that have been that have been you know taking in a lot of college tape and, and following the draft all off season long, and so a lot. A lot of times you'll see some of these rookies kind of start the off season and enter August with these uh, inflated ADPs. Cause I'm kind of seeing that a little bit with Montgomery Sanders, just these guys who, um, you know, we have high hopes for, and we think they're good players, but um, their ADP, that's almost like there's no room for ceiling at this point. It's all, it, it's the ceiling has already been baked in. All right. So one more prop for the bears, uh, Mitch Trubisky, uh, total passing yards this year. Uh, I have the over in at 3,670 and a half. I am going over. I'm bullish on Trubisky this season. I think that it's just one of those situations where regardless what you think of the player, um, every anyone he throws to uh, can make plays at this point. I mean, we mentioned the three the three deep running back committee. Um, we, you know, he has these kind of gadget types all over the place that, that can pick up big yardage at the drop of a hat in Cohen, Gabriel. They added Cordero Patterson to the mix. I think it shouldn't be understated that Allen Robinson is entering his age 26 season, which is, tends to be the peak for wide receivers. He's another year removed from his ACL injury. And this is another year for Trubisky in a Matt Nagy offense because you have to kind of throw away, I think, that first year uh, with – John Fox. So uh, assuming, you know, normal health for a quarterback, quarterbacks tend to miss, you know, zero to one games usually. Trubisky missed, missed a couple starts last year, but assuming he's in that, that range, uh, I, I think he has a, a lot of potential, even if he's not uh, necessarily throwing the ball downfield a, a, a ton, because he's got guys that can make plays after the catch, as well as a guy like Allen Robinson, who can do things downfield and, and in the red zone. So Rayvon and I earlier this, uh, this year already have butted heads on talking about Trubisky. So probably no surprise here. I am taking the under. I just, I think so much of uh, what happened with Trubisky last year was driven by uh, unsustainable efficiency in key situations. And I am much more bullish on his coach than I am on him. And I know he should benefit by having his coach there. And I think he will, but I still think he is basically uh, Blake Bortles uh, with a better offense. Wow. And uh, I'm going to be fading. 
And we've compared two quarterbacks to Blake Bortles already. It's Blake Bortles' lucky day. Daniel Jones might be Blake Bortles. Trubisky. I mean, you would think Blake Bortles would still be in this league starting, but uh, it's a good backup for the Rams. I mean, I mean, after seeing the way Jared Goff played in the Super Bowl, is he Blake Bortles too? Oh, great. <laughs> Third quarterback compared to Blake Bortles. Can't <laughs> believe it. Had to. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to the Lions. Um, carry on Johnson. Total rushing plus receiving yards. Um, over under 1,250 and a half. I will take the over. I think he will be the guy who gets a lot of the kind of meaningless yardage in between the 20s. And I, I think he's a good enough of a pass catcher where uh, some of the, the production that otherwise would have gone to Theo Riddick, on Johnson will be able to get. Um, I think the big knock on him is that he won't be getting the touchdowns. So I will, I will take the over on yardage, but it will be kind of, I, th- I think, meaningless yardage. Uh, this is another one where I'm going under. I think it's a, a pretty decent line, but at the same time, I think, I think the, Ryan, the Lions, first thing we should mention is that uh, Daryl Bevel is the, now the offensive coordinator there. Uh, pretty run-heavy OC in Seattle. Matt Patricia and the team have come out and kind of said, hey, we want to recommit to the run. They kind of alluded to, to hiding the defense uh, a little bit. So I do think they want to run the ball more. I do think Theo Riddick is kind of on the down slope of his career. A lot of the usage you saw later in the year was uh, when Detroit kind of lost all of their receivers and, uh, you know, they needed some, somebody, especially underneath, they were throwing out Bruce Ellington and, and stuff. So uh, I do think that Johnson's workload will increase a bit. However, I also think that CJ Anderson will kind of reprise the, the, a similar role to what LeGarrette Blunt had. And I think a lot of these coaches in the league have just kind of come to terms with it's probably smarter to use a committee backfield and not overwork uh, your top guy. And uh, we've known the Patriots to be kind of that, a, a team that does that. Uh, we saw Sony Michelle kind of get a, a large workload, but that's also because the Patriots are good and they, and they have the, the opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, salt the game away w- with leads. And I don't know if the Lions have that. And I don't know if Johnson would even be that guy. So uh, I'm going under, I, I, but I do think the, the upside is there, uh, but I, I don't, I'm not, I'm just not sure they're willing to use him quite at that capacity. Yeah. And he's said in the past that he doesn't really view himself as a bell cow back. Um, but they, I've heard that Theo Riddick could be on the roster bubble. So mm-hmm. if he gets cut, you know, I agree that C.J. Anderson might, you know, handle a pretty big workload with the, the rushing attack. But if they cut Theo Riddick, we all know how valuable, you know, receptions are in terms of, you know, yardage efficiency. So I think that'll help him out. But with him, I think it's all about staying healthy. He's, he's kind of had a troubled history dating back to even like high school um, of being hurt. So I think if he stays healthy – he can go over this total, but that's that's pretty much what this prop is about, is if he could stay healthy. Um, so moving on to the Packers. Marquez Valdez Scantling, total receiving yards this year. Um, I have it set at 675 and a half. I will take the under. Thank you. I, I want to go over, but I, I, that's a pretty fair one. I, I, it's another one where I have him just under by less than 100 yards. So. Uh, I, I will go with the under. I think, again, these are kind of when you're projecting, you're looking for the median. Uh, but I will say this. I am most bullish on Valdez Scantling of all of the uh, non-Devante Adams Packers wide receivers. I think I was a little bit worried down the stretch last year when Equinemius St. Brown started getting snaps over Valdez Scantling. Uh, however, I think 
uh, Valdez Scantling, he, he's a guy that, you know, I think flashed the most just when you, you watched the games last year. And there is a new coaching regime. Uh, word out of camp has been positive, most positive uh, regarding MVS. Uh, and I think he has the highest ceiling, even higher, I would say, than, than Allison, who coming off an injury kind of slots in as that, that, that other perimeter guy that you know, sometimes we get a little too excited about those guys. I remember Jarrett Boykin, um, you know, guys in that vein. Like Aaron Rodgers is going to make everybody look decent. But uh, I think MVS is a guy who could kind of explode onto the seed. And when you don't quite see it coming as clearly, kind of like a Jordy Nelson uh, uh, did, you know, back up maybe five, six years ago. Yeah, and he's, he definitely seems to be trending based on early reports to get that number two role. Uh, mm-hmm. across from Devontae and you know he put up 581 receiving hours last year and that was with five games where he barely played and yeah failed to record over 10 receiving hours so I think you know his his floor seems a little bit higher than we think and obviously the ceiling's there so I'll, I will gladly take the over from both of you on uh 675 and a half um so the way I project that especially at this point in the offseason I get I'll just uh for, for anyone out there wondering is in situations like this where I think there's there's still some question marks about, okay, there's four receivers, well, three receivers competing for essentially two main roles. Um, it's Allison, it's Valdez Scantling, and then St. Brown. I don't think you can count them out just yet. Um, uh, Rogers also shouted out uh, Jake Kumaro, so I guess he's in the mix as well. So at this point, it's just it's a little more conservative because I'm kind of uh, splitting those reps up between all those guys. But as we get more word and if we keep getting reports like this, what I'll do is I'll start to kind of cement them, and I think – um, Valdez Scantling would definitely be over that. So if that's kind of worth anything to people projecting a little more forward, but, but right now, especially for best ball, I, I think you still have to be a little bit, uh, conservative. Yeah, I think that's fair, Rayvon. And uh, I agree with that, uh, that perspective on how you approach the rankings at this point of the year. Uh, for me, Geronimo Allison is the guy that I'm a little more comfortable locking into the number two role right now, just because of the, the chemistry and the, the history that he has with Rodgers. But it, it wouldn't be a surprise if MBS did end up winning this, the, uh, the second job there. All right, heading over to Minnesota. Um, Dalvin Cook total touches this year. I have the line set at... Oh God, uh, two sixty-five and a half. I had to make a quick little adjustment there. <laughs> Are you scared of me going under or free? I'm going scared over? of everything on this. I, <laughs> I would not take action on this. I'm doing it. I really. Uh, I will take the under. I will take the under. Um, and part of it is because I think Alexander Madison, not that I think he's a great talent, but I do think that they want to use him in some of that Latavius Murray role. So I think he will probably get more usage than people are expecting. And then of course there's the injury risk with Dalvin Cook too. He hasn't really proven himself as someone who could stay healthy um, to this point. And then also, uh, even though with the, um, the new offensive coordinator that they've uh, brought in, in uh, Kevin Stefanski, uh, it seems like they, brought him in basically just because they didn't like what uh, Filippo was doing previously in a more pass-heavy scheme. So although it looks like they might go more run-heavy, uh, I could see them still continuing to be more of a pass-heavy team than people might be projecting. So uh, I, will, I will take the under. Yeah, I have the under. Uh, I think this is another one where it could go – it could easily go over based on – the one thing about Mike Zimmer is under his watch, I mean, Dalvin Cook was racking up the touches his first year before he got hurt. Um, I think he was he got over 20 in, in three of his four games or something like that. Or, and, then, and then last year in his first game back from injury, you know, they said they were going to kind of limit his usage and he got 22 touches. So um, that, that 260, what is it, 265 and a half? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that 265 and a half would equate to about 16.6 per game over a 16-game season. So it, it really comes down to the injuries because I, I think if he plays 16 games, he, he actually would go over that just based on uh, Mike Zimmer and, and how he's used uh, Cook. And the fact that, I mean, I think one of the reasons he probably does want to go more run heavy is because uh, I would say Kirk Cousins was a bit of a disappointment last year. And uh, we know how good Dalvin Cook is. So I think there's a reason why uh, he wants to go run heavier, and, and it is Dalvin Cook. So I think this is one where, you know, median-wise, yeah, a little bit under when you factor an injury. But this guy could be a uh, – he could explode. Yeah, and I should say, I'm taking the under. But, Sean, I literally have this projected at 265.39. Oh, you've got to take the under then. Yeah. So, so, you know, I'm pretty much where you are. But if I had to lean one way or another on Talvin Cook, I'm leaning under. Right. And, I mean, I think the Vikings certainly want him to have over 300 touches. It's just about, you know, the injury risk and maybe eliminating him just to make sure that he stays healthy. But, like you mentioned, if you look at uh, the four games where Stefanski was OC, um, you know, he got a ton of touches. And that's when Thielen started to drop off. So, you know, I think they do want to be more balanced, but um, with, with Cook, I think you, you have to monitor his workload a little bit just to make sure he stays healthy. So that's why I was nervous about setting this line. I figured you guys would bet under, so I just have to hope he stays healthy. We should, um, real quick, I guess, because this has been kind of a theme of the show, any thoughts on just like how you guys go about um, projecting games played for, for guys, especially at the running back position where I think it's most relevant? Yeah, I typically hover around uh, missing about game and a half to two games. Um, you know, backup running back, they're less likely to miss games because they're not getting as many touches. So I use it on a player-by-player -player basis. You know, a guy like Cook, I'm, I'm projecting, let me see, probably 14 games. Um, whereas more durable backs, I'll, I'll push 15 games. But it's, it's more of a feel thing, and I try not to overweight uh, past injury history too much. And I do look at the player's age, um, you know, younger players between, you know, 22 and 25. Um, I would expect to overcome their injury history a little bit better than others so it's it's a uh, case-by-case basis but I hover around uh, 14 and a half yeah I'm I'm right there with Sean if it's uh, like 14 and a half to 15 is normally where I slot it just as Sean mentioned depending on age uh you know injury history things like that and uh yeah if a guy's older I will tend to adjust that down a little bit more yeah, it's um. I think it was Sports Injury Predictor did a study where they found that uh, just looking at like past games average per year on its own is generally it only explains I think like something like two or three uh, percent of the future. So it is it is a lot kind of on a case by case basis and just a positional basis. I remember another study uh, done by I think it was uh, Pro Football Logic where they kind of. The one thing that was interesting was they, they found that for, for running backs in, in a lot of the positions, the snap rate didn't actually matter that much. Like uh, um, it, the, the games missed and the games available uh, at, on a positional level was about uh, equal, um, the, not, uh, you know, rather, whether it was a starter or a backup. So running backs are, were the lowest that they found at 13.3, but that's the average. So, yeah, I, I kind of median-wise, I kind of uh, set it at, a, at about 14. But, yeah, I'm looking at, like, their, their injury history. And if they come into the season injured, like, if they're injured right now, yeah. um, that's when I usually kind of dock off another half game. Too. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a really good point, Rayvon. Yeah, because uh, it, and it's been proven. I think 4 for 4 uh, did a study a number of years ago where they looked at um, kind of when a player is, appears on the injury report once, I think it's, like, 15% or something more likely. So, yeah, that kind of all e equals out to, yeah, like, you, you yeah. knock off another game. 
All right, heading over to the south. Uh, let's start with the Falcons. Um, this is basically my favorite prop to project year to year is Julio Jones receiving touchdowns. I have it at seven and a half. My heart wants to take the over, but uh, I'm taking the under. But I think that's pretty close. Yeah, I have it right under. Like, I'm trying to find one where I can go over here. And I have it right under. Oh, just by saying that, I'll make sure. Next next couple of products, I'll, I'll, I'll adjust the line for uh, you. Um, but, <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think that's a good one. I, I think that you can't overweight uh, for anyone touchdowns. I mean, granted, Julio has had some bad touchdowns, which he's had some struggles. Uh, in the red zone, however, Steve Sarkeesian uh, didn't seem to, especially that first year, didn't really seem to know what he was doing as, as far as getting him the ball there. So um, you have Dirk Cutter back uh, here. I, I think uh, I think you kind of expect Julio to uh, kind of even out to his career average. Yeah. And, and it, the one thing about touchdowns for receivers, it just takes quite a long time for that touchdown rate uh, to stabilize. It takes, uh, you know, hundreds of targets. So. Right. I think you can't you can't go too well on that, but I think seven is fair, especially you know given his targets um, share. He's probably still going to be the, one of the most targeted receivers in the league. Yeah, I mean I can't set it at six and a half. I can't set it at eight and a half. So I had to, I had to do seven and a half. Yeah. But I mean he's one of those guys where obviously he has the physique, skill set, and the offense to be putting up ten touchdowns a year. And he's only done it once, and ironically that was with Dirk Cutter at the helm. So um, maybe he'll bring back that magic. But um, I've just basically given up and given him his career rate of 7.3. I think that's what we got to do now. Um, and, you know, we have to wonder if he's going to start breaking down a bit, mm-hmm. thir- uh, you know, on the wrong side of 30. Um, so I think seven and a half is fair, but I'm, I'm always rooting for the over on this and just come to just accept that he's, you know, just a low uh, touchdown rate kind of guy. I mean, we don't have this on the, on the outline, but I'm just curious to you guys, quick thoughts, uh, more touchdowns, Ridley, or, or Julio? I'm going to go with Ridley, believe it or not. I have him 0.3 more than Julio right now. Yeah, I uh, I closed my my projections down for Atlanta. Let me pull back up. But I believe, shooting <laughs> from the hip, I had Ridley higher. Yeah, I do. I have Ridley higher. I mean, I have about the same. Yeah. And I mean, and that is with, again, like I, I do incorporate, you know, how long it takes these, these rates to stabilize. And, and even then, you know, with Ridley's rookie season and, and regressing it to the mean and all that, um, he actually still comes out slightly ahead of Julio. Yeah. So I thought that was uh, thought that was an interesting question. All right. Moving on to the Panthers. DJ Moore, uh, for him, we're going to have to do total rushing and receiving yards. Um, and I'm actually setting his number exactly what he had last year. Very creative of me. Uh, Nine sixty and a half. Uh, I will easily take the over. I'm probably wrong, but I will take the over. <laughs> and to be clear, I mean I'm not expecting the same production. Yeah. I think he missed two games. I'll have to see, but that was yeah. He played a full sixteen game season, so I'm I'm obviously having his um, per game rate much higher this year. But uh, factoring in a, a game or two missed. I mean, the the big thing is, I mean, it's not like Tyreek Hill level, but like they actually really like to get that guy running. Um, and he's been a, a pretty competent runner. He, he was last year. He was in college. And uh, he was – one of the big questions is whether his yards after the catch efficiency is going to regress. And I think it will because he was just amazing uh, after the catch last year. But I think he is going to see increased target share with Devin Funches no longer with the team. So – uh, I will I will take the over. I think we're going to see a pretty big second year. Uh, I don't want to say leap, but um, I don't know. 
pretty big second year development from him. Uh, he was basically as good as you could ask any non Randy Moss, 21 year old rookie receiver to be in the league. Yeah. I just, another one where, I mean, I think the line is good. I'm slightly under, um, I, you know, I have him, I like him to, to kind of exactly what Friedman said. Um, I think value wise though, I tend to target Curtis Samuel because for, you know, once Samuel became a full-time player, um, him and Moore were neck and neck in production uh, across all categories. Um, I, Moore I was, agree with that, by the way. Right you know, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, again, you can't look at just past missed games uh, in a vacuum. So I think there's a chance Greg Olson is still a factor. You also have Ian Thomas and you have Christian McCaffrey eating up probably over 20% of that target share uh, yet again. So I, I, that's the only thing I think they're, it's kind of a thing where they could spread the ball around uh, a little bit, but I think more will continue to be efficient, but I, you have to, from a projection standpoint, uh, factor in some efficiency regression. So um, I have him kind of, you know, uh, exceeding his targets uh, from what he did last year, but uh, with that, with that regression, um, he kind of goes just, just below the, the, the line that yeah. uh, Sean laid out. All right, heading over to the Saints, I have a couple projections for them. Uh, the first one being Traquan Smith, total receptions. Uh, I'm hoping I can get uh, a Raybon over here. Uh, over under 36 and a half. Let me go, because I'm actually not too bo- – Oh, <laughs> you that, won't believe this. You won't believe that this. That is a great line. Sean, you will not believe this. 36 I have him six. at 36. I have him uh, at 36. You, you missed me by a half over this. <laughs> Yeah, I thought about floating 35 and a half. Oh, uh, I have him. I have him at 37.4. Oh, so, that's it's right there. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'll take the obligatory over. <laughs> Raymond, you, you take the under. But like that, I think that line is oh, just about as good as it could be. And, uh, you know, to, to, to be transparent, uh, you know, I do tend to expect second year, year jumps from, from most players. I'm a little concerned with the fact that, Traycon Smith kind of peaked early in the year. And then as the year went on, he kind of regressed a little bit, especially it seemed like they needed another guy to step up. Uh, he was unable to be that guy. So that's what kind of gives me pause. But I do have him uh, about a percentage point ahead of Ted Ginn in target share uh, at this point. But it's just tough to really know if he will fully kind of take over that job from Ginn and, and at what point. or Because Ginn was also heavily involved in, yeah. in those four uh, games when he came back from injury and I mean you tend to think these older guys are going to fade away but the Saints have their own ways and you know yeah. Duke, when your quarterback is, is 40 and he's hanging in there <laughs> you can't just say oh hey you're, you're a receiver and you're right. 32 or 33 you're, you're out of here so um yeah it's, it's it's a tough one to project right now yeah and I, I think if you if you draft Trey Smith, you have to get yourself a Ted Gen voodoo doll because you're gonna be pissed off when they they still trot him out there and run him over Traquan Smith, but it, it was disappointing. You know, he had that 10-game stretch of getting out, and he didn't really take advantage of it. He had a couple of massive games, but, um, you know, he didn't top 50 uh, receiving yards in any other game. So um, with, with three games where he had zero reception. So he's he's definitely sporadic and probably best for best ball if we want to talk about fancy strategy. But um, I'm excited to see if he can take over Ted Ginn. Um, and, yeah, I don't think this prop's going to be close. I think it's going to be, like, 30 or 80 who knows but um it's interesting because I heard something on a camp uh I think it was earlier this year or maybe it was like a recap of last season from from, I forget who the uh writer was but I think it was a beat writer it's kind of saying one of the things about Smith was that they they kind of envisioned him as like a big slot at one point and then because of the get injury he didn't really get to take over that role and then you know Michael Thomas also 
kind of really, you know, kind of ran away with that role. So I think that might have had something uh, to do with it. I'm not sure how much he actually practiced in the Ginn role uh, heading into to last season. Uh, Raymond, to your point earlier about uh, how you're kind of just splitting that uh, that number two role between Ginn and Traquan Smith, I'm exactly there with you. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I yeah. think it, it really is Ted Ginn dependent. Yeah. Um, next up, uh, Latavius Murray, total rushing and receiving touchdowns, um, over under seven and a half. I literally have this at 7.76. So I'm, I mean, I'm on the over, but I'm, I'm right there. Uh, I am going, I'm going under. Um, I just, that's a lot of touchdowns for a guy who's going to be behind a a guy who's probably going to get, you know, 15 to 20 touches a game in Alvin Kamara. Uh, I think that it's, this is another guy where, yeah, it could, it could go potentially way over. Um, but, at, you know, Mike, Mark Ingram's role in the passing game last year was reduced a little bit. Murray, not even as good of a pass catcher, uh, I would say, as Ingram. So, you know, those, those chances still, you know, could add up to maybe a touchdown or two a lost. And I, and I also remember talking about this um, heading into last year's season, which was why I was kind of down on Ingram a bit, was that they were using Kamara as the goal back quite a bit um, at the end of the 2017 season into the postseason. So uh, I think Murray will essentially be the replacement for Ingram, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be like the goal line back. He's just going to be a guy that kind of mixes in for, for those, you know, maybe eight to 12 touches here in the, a game, um, but they're not necessarily going to be at the goal line uh, all the time. So uh, I don't think you can just kind of, pre- uh, the eight touchdowns is a lot. Of, I just think it's a lot of touchdowns for, for a guy in that role. Yeah, yeah, especially, but, you know, with them around the goal line, you have Taysom Hill, Gimmick yeah. plays, and even Zach Lyon Vultures. So <laughs> I agree that, you know, at the Saints. But, you know, he could fill in that Mark Ingram role. And, you know, I agree that he's not as good of a receiver as Ingram, but he's still a competent receiver. So in this offense, he could thrive. And interestingly enough, he's never scored a receiving touchdown. So I'm actually betting on him doing that this year. <laughs> he has 123 receptions and zero touchdowns. Um, I'm betting on regression in the positive sense here and that that's why this is factored in i have him scoring rushing uh receiving touchdown this year and if uh kamar is out i mean (laughs) the expectation goes from like uh you know maybe you know 0.4 a game to like uh right and and to be fair (laughs) i I do have that factored in if if uh kamar were to play 16 games his projection for me would be like 6.3 so i do factor in you know those game or two missed into this but yeah Kamara misses any time he's what is he a low-end RB1 at least yeah at least I mean he has he I mean he has potential he's no he has top five potential just being in that offense I mean they've shown that they want to be run heavy um these last couple years Rayvon to your point about uh, Mark Ingram being not as much of a scorer last year as he was the year previously so in 2017 he had 12 touchdowns last year he still had seven touchdowns in just 12 games so even if uh, Latavius Murray isn't getting the usage that Ingram was getting when he was really the goal line guy. He could still end up getting uh, eight touchdowns. So yeah. it's, I, I think there's a lot of potential here. Like it wouldn't be surprising if Latavius Murray had like 12 touchdowns when the season's over. Yeah, it, it makes sense. You, I mean, there's no reason to have Kamara be banging in goal line touchdowns. Just give him the Murray and you know preserve Kamara for what he's really good at. I mean, uh, I would say I would say Kamara. I mean, I think the reason he bangs those in though, like not many people could bang those in. Like he has sure. balance. Like he might be he might right. have the best balance in the league. I, I've seen him score uh, some touchdowns at the goal 
line where any other back would have just got like pushed out of bounds laterally and Kamara just like bounces off and somehow like sneaks in. So like, I get it, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I agree with both of you guys on everything. It's just, yeah, like conservative, I guess my projections are uh, on the conservative side and uh, in yeah. guys. And just for the record, one more guy that I forgot to mention is, you know, he's competing with uh, for goal line carries is Drew Brees himself. Yeah. Uh, Drew Brees, the uh, pylon stretch play. Um, uh, next up, uh, to close out the South, we have the Buccaneers um, and Chris Godwin, uh, total receiving yards. Um, I have it set at 950 and a half. Ooh, I'm over. Woo, Let's go. finally. Let's there we go. go. I don't feel good about that one either. Oh, really? man. Uh, <laughs> I, I am over, but I'm just barely over. I mean, Bruce Arians coming in, more slot for Godwin. We saw what he was able to do with Larry Fitzgerald taking him from – you know, perimeter to a slot guy. It's all there. It's all adding up uh, for Godwin. I mean, you know, the, he can do the downfield thing. If he can do the slot thing, he essentially is like that, that, that mix of a, in the prime, in his prime Larry Fitzgerald, that, that Arians kind of turned into a, a whole nother beast. And, and the targets are there because um, if you look at in, in games where uh, Deshaun Jackson has been out these past two years, uh, Godwin averaging 73 yards per game. So uh, 3.8 catches, 7.7 targets, 0.67 touchdowns. I think uh, Jameis Winston likes to throw likes to throw to him. I think this is still going to be a relatively pass-heavy team. And, and you know, Arians is going to take those shots downfield. So if, if, if Godwin's getting volume uh, in the, because of the slot, just getting easy catches in addition to those downfield shots, I think he has monster potential. I'll just say I wanted to be on the under on this um, just because I think most people are so bullish on Godwin that yeah. they would easily take the over on this. Yeah. And I, I think I'm a little more pessimistic on on him, although I, I still like him. Like I, I think he's a talented player, but uh, I think this might sound weird. One of the things that might factor into whether he hits this is just like how much usage in the receiving game, the running backs get. Um, and that might sound really weird, but like these are guys who just aren't really good pass catchers, except for Andre Ellington. But like he's old and like just like not <laughs> on the roster bubble. Yeah, so and on the roster bubble. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like just this question of like, is Peyton Barber, is Ronald Jones, like, are either of these guys actually going to see a decent amount of targets? Because if so, like that has to come out of somewhere. And, you know, I think that knocks Godwin down just a little bit. Um, and then O.J. Howard, is he going to develop as a, a third-year tight end coming back from injury? Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> yes. It's, yes. I, I'm, I'm close. I'm close on that number that Sean gave, but I'm just a, a smidgen to the over, which is I mean, kind of frustrating. Yeah. If, you had, if you had, if you inherited a team, and because I think there was some talk about Arians and he doesn't always involve the tight ends. I mean, he had like Rob Hausler and John Carlson or whoever he had in Arizona. Right. Um, but, like, if you inherited a team, and, and, and one of the backs, like, first of all, average, like, what, 1.9 yards a carry. The other guy is Peyton Barber. I mean, and, and you, but you had O.J. Howard uh, at tight end, and you had, you know, Godwin, and you had – and you don't really have a third receiver anymore, and you have Mike – I mean, what would you do? I think you would, like, you would target the heck out of those three – those top three, and you would let Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones stand in there and, and bang into linebackers and defensive ends <laughs> while Jameis Winston – is is going down the field to, to Godwin and Evans and Howard. So I, I think those three, I mean, they're all being taken in the top 60, but I think they have a decent shot of all paying off uh, their ADPs. Yeah, I think that's fair. 
All right, moving on to the West, and I'm very I I don't think I could set these number these lines high enough, so I'm just gonna <laughs> uh, go with it. The Kyler Murray passing yards, okay, <laughs> over under three thousand six hundred and a half. Over, over. yeah, over. Oh, I, mean, well, I, I don't know why you guys are picking on me. You can go bet him at a sports book right now for like 3,200. So, yeah, I'll, I, I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like everything Cardinals yeah. win total, Kyler Murray, every prop. Um, I have him, yes. I have him, uh, over 4,000 yards. Again, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, what if he's small? What if he gets hurt? Again, quarterbacks just don't miss many games. Uh, many of them, 10, about half the league tends to start all 16. Uh, and if you miss a game, you usually miss no more than two. So uh, I have him, you know, uh, I, I think even with a missed game, uh, I have him over 4,000 yards. So I have him in, you know, top top third percentile in terms of what, what quarterbacks have done over the past few years in terms of yards per attempt. I have him, be, you know, better than the league average in that. And so, and, and I think the Cardinals will be a, a up-tempo team. I think they have solid pass-catching options all around. Uh, I think Christian Kirk is also being underrated. Uh, I think Isabella could step in right away and kind of like Cooper Cup did for the uh, Rams in his first year. And, and let's not forget, David Johnson still wants his thousand yard uh, receiving season. Yeah. So I think Murray will be fine. Uh, I think maybe it's, it's a little tougher with the touchdowns because he could run some in. You have David Johnson there who could run a ton in. Um, but but in terms of yardage, yeah, I think I think that's an over a, a strong over for me. Two units. Yeah, um, I I'm there with Raybon. I'll I'll take the two units too, Sean. If you're willing to uh, well, to book that, I'm at the hedge with the uh, actual line. I tried to be conservative in in the projections on on the team level, on the player level, because like there there are so many unknowns, and I know I just like I want to be bullish on Kyle Murray. So like when I could try to go against my instincts, I would you know bump numbers down a little bit here or there. But even with that said, I'm with Rayvon. I'm projecting him for over 4,000 yards. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. That's just – that's where I'm going. I'm going to – like, I'm planting the flag on him. Like, this this is the guy I want in all of my fantasy teams. I, I'm fully on board. Yeah, so, the, like, the, the current line of 3,200 at certain sports books, um, I mean, he's going to have to miss, what, four games? If you bet the under, you're basically betting that he'll miss four games or that they'll go with Brett Hundley week one. Uh, but most of these props, it's, you know, they have to start week one for action. So I'm really trying to figure out yeah. where the 3,200's coming from. I yeah. think we're just looking at what rookies, rookie quarterbacks have historically done, and they're using that as their baseline. I don't think they're taking into account at all the offense that he's going to be playing in yeah. or just the type of player that he is. Yeah, because that's a great point. Because, yeah, maybe when you kind of average it out or med- whatever you do, look at the median, um, it comes out to that. But uh, I wrote about this in my article on the Action Network about how I thought the Chiefs were essentially silly for, for letting Patrick Mahomes sit uh, in year one when they had kind of went through that lull with Alex Smith. And, and the reason was when you look back at, at what quarterbacks have been able to do in year one, uh, the, the quarterbacks that can run, the quarterbacks that are mobile, they've had success right away. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson, uh, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, uh, you know, all, a lot of other names, uh, Cam Newton. Um, now, it even just so happened. Oh, even, even RG3. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. right. And it just so happened, it just so happened that, um, and, and of course this could play into it, but a lot of those quarterbacks just happen to be on run-heavy offense. And so you, you average that out of, okay, what these quarterbacks have done, and you, maybe you get to that, that 3,200 number. But 
I don't think that this this offense under Kingsbury is going to be necessarily a run-heavy offense, and I think it's also going to be a pretty up-tempo offense. And their defense, I mean, that Patrick Peterson suspension weakens their defense considerably uh, over, for, for now essentially 40% of the season. So when yeah. you consider all of those factors, uh, I think you have to bump up uh, that kind of projection. And then, and then let's be real. I, I don't think Murray is just an average <laughs> – rookie quarterback I yeah. think he's, he's an above average one so Sean you have another line for us when it comes to Kyler Murray yeah and I'm hoping I could get one of you to compare him to Blake Bortles I don't think it's going to happen but we're going for five QBs um, so this one's really tricky for me and again I don't know if I could set it high enough for you guys um, I'm a little bit over sports books for it with this one but um, for his rushing yards I have over under 550 and a half I think that's not a bad line, but I will still take the over. I actually have the under um, because, again, I just kind of going back to the projections um, and, and Scott, Scott Barrett's work, and um, it just kind of went in the uh, high 400s for me. Um, I think that it is quite possible that in year one he may run a little bit more, but um, then, then he ends up doing over the course of his uh, career. But I think people are, are underestimating, like – you know, he is a, a quarterback who can run, and I do expect him to be, you know, in that mix for, for, for one of the top rushing quarterbacks. But I think the plan is really going to be drop back, get the ball out quick. Uh, and, and so I think while he will take off, uh, I think he'll do it a little more selectively than, than maybe we're anticipating, especially because, you know, the size, there's, there's been all the talk about his size. So um, he could easily break one of those long runs and get it, you know, just, you know, get a 90 yard run in like week five. And then, you know, that essentially he goes over. So I think that's, in play but if i'm if i'm projecting median i have them uh about 50 yards under that yeah so, just to be clear i was fudging the numbers because i was anticipating both of you being over but i have it closer to 520 can't get me can't get me that easy corner yeah so so just to uh drive the point home on this it seems as if i am higher on kyler murray than raybon is so just to settle that once and for all <laughs> i mean where do you have him? you have him i think we both have him third or do you have him second Wait, or do you just move him up whenever I move him up? We'll just have now. to wait and see. We'll wait and see. <laughs> but based on the numbers here, uh, yeah, you, you, uh, yeah, it seems you like do. I have him a little bit higher. Hey, man. Just for our consensus projections and rankings, I'm going to have to, like, project his floor, I think, just to <laughs> balance it out. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Just move a little, Sean. Just, just well, move no, up to number man, three. Thought, <laughs> you guys are just blowing out of the water. Okay, so now for the bet that I would not take action on. Um, we're going to the Rams um, and Todd Gurley total touches this year. Um, I have no idea what you guys are going to do with this. So uh, let me update it in my head um, over under 235 and a half touches. I have under, I have under. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, if you look at again, you know, Daryl Henderson, where he was drafted kind of early in day two, those backs tend to average about 140 touches uh, a year in year one. Uh, and I think when you look at you know, what, what kind of Gurley's workload was down, down the stretch and then after hearing all the talk and then factoring in that I think he's on the wrong side of that missed game projection for running back. So, you know, even though, you know, they average about, you know, 14 games a year, I'd say I have him closer to 13. Um, so for all those factors, I'm, I'm just going, I'm going under. Okay, so I I have him projected for over, but like the caveat on this is that the Rams were the first team I projected. So this projection is like a month old. 
And so like, I, I feel like I should be updating this and like, no, I would, I would adjust that down. I would adjust that other thing down. Uh, and so just like mentally kind of calibrating this, I will take the under. I was afraid of that. Um, yeah. Don't feel too good about this projection, but like you said, this time of year, or I guess a month ago, we're kind of setting up sort of the math foundation of our models and stuff. And starting now, we're going to start to, you know, factor in the news and reports. And with him, it's still a little bit sketchy. So this is this is a projection that I'm going to be cha- updating a lot um, heading into the season. So, uh, you know, the range on this one is pretty severe. Um, but, yeah, you guys convinced me to lower it down just a tad right now. I think one guy I'm getting more bullish on as I kind of put together and project the Rams is Jared Goff. Um, I think, you know, everyone's kind of down on him after seeing the hideous performance in the three, uh, three point effort in the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots. But when you, when it kind of sets up for Goff to have a monster season. I mean, he, we've seen him put up good numbers, especially when Cooper Cup is in the lineup, really put up top tier numbers for a quarterback. You're adding in a guy like Henderson, who essentially can give them what what, what Tavon Austin was never able uh, to do. You're getting Cup back. You have another uh, year of familiarity with Brandon Cooks now. Uh, you know, Robert Woods has been excellent. Uh, Gerald Everett by all accounts has had a, a really good camp he's entering year three there's always a lot of hope that he could kind of turn into a Jordan Reed type guy um you know him and Higby have been you know maybe coming along a little slow and also just not huge roles but I think you know we saw a lot of good out of Higby in that in that playoff game against New Orleans so I think it's another one of those situations where even if you don't believe in the player 100 percent like like kind of like the way uh you know Friedman is with uh the way you are with Trubisky I, I think when you just look around at everyone Goss going to be throwing to I mean I wouldn't be surprised if Goff's in that, you know, QB one MVP talk uh, by the time things are all said and done. Uh, I, I don't entirely disagree with that. I, in fact, like I probably agree with that more than I disagree with that. Um, I haven't projected for something that I think is not like a high end uh, quarterback one season, but like, like a very respectable mid QB one season. Like if, if I weren't so bullish on Kyler Murray, I would, <laughs> thinking more about all of these other quarterbacks. But uh, as it is, like, I, I have a very respectable projection for Goff. I mean, the only tough thing is just it's – you don't want to overrank these non-mobile guys just because that rushing production – I mean, we saw it out of Josh Allen. We saw it – we've seen it out of – I mean, Dak Prescott, even on low volume, has been a, a top-10 QB, I think, two out of three years. And, like, we've just seen this Trubisky, you know, all these, this rushing production just vaults these guys up, and, and Goff's not really getting that. Um, so I don't want people, you know, seeing the rankings and hit. He's, like, fifth or something and going out and, and you know, reaching for him. But um, I, I think, you know, as we get closer to the season, I'm going to be – I'm going to be bumping him up because I am quite bullish. Yeah, with, with Goff, his upside is his um, passing touchdown volatility. And, you know, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but the Rams were by far the most run-heavy team inside, like, the five-yard line. So if they see any kind of regression there, it'll help Goff out. Um, so we could see a spike in passing touchdowns, and that's where I think it'll hit a ceiling. Yeah. Next up, uh, the 49ers. Um, I'm going to try to set a projection for Tevin Coleman touches. Let me over under 170 and a half touches under I just don't know what his role is going to be and this is another one where I, I mean I don't know how you guys have approached it but it, it's tough to kind of with this between Coleman Brita 
McKinnon. Then you have use check factors in more than almost any other fullback in the league. And, and, you know, Mostert got hurt, so he's probably not in that mix anymore, but he was the wild card for a while. But I mean, I just go remember um, Coleman, uh, I think it was his last year with Shanahan in 2016. He had uh, essentially no receiving usage. And that kind of worries me in regard to, to, uh, to touches. I think it was either that year or the year before, but one of the years, no, I think it was 2015, sorry, when uh, Devontae Freeman had the big year. Uh, Coleman was averaging, uh, what was it, 0.92 targets per game, and he had 7.3 rush attempts. So even if he gets, you know, the equivalent of what you would expect for him getting, you know, double-digit carries, uh, I think his target share could be underwhelming because of the presence of a guy like McKinnon, who you essentially would have no choice but to get involved uh, in the passing game if you're going to kind of have this three-man committee. Sean, you said 170 and a half? Yeah. Yeah, that is really close to where I have it right now. But um, there is so much uncertainty with Jarek McKinnon um, that I'm, I'm going to lean to the under. Yeah, I mean, it's mid-June, so we're kind of assuming all these guys are going to make the team. Do you guys think there's a decent chance they end up cutting McKinnon if they're all healthy heading no. into the season? No, so I don't, I don't think so. Time? No, I mean, I would. I think that the the whole the thing that's tough is that even last year, we kind of expected Coleman to really run away with the job if Freeman got hurt. Um, and Coleman was a pretty volatile asset. Atlanta's offensive line wasn't very good. But, I, I mean, from what I've heard out of camp, Coleman, is a, they, they signed him to essentially be the, the quote-unquote big back. McKinnon, um, when, when they signed him, I think they had more of like a, a receiving kind of role in mind for him. But then I think Breida actually complicates. And I know, Sean, you said it, I think, on one of the earlier pods we did this offseason that – I mean, he's going uh, way down there, essentially free, probably in that you know, 100, you know, 20, 140 ADP range, um, or definitely outside the top 100. He's probably the best value because I think it, it might just come down to who plays the best um, and it also health, obviously. But uh, just on pure talent, I mean, Brita, he was, he was amazing last year. Yeah, like when, when it comes to backfields that have three fancy relevant um, running backs, I like to just take the cheapest guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we saw those those type of situations unfold last year. Philip Lindsay was an example of that, mm-hmm. and even Chris Carson. So um, those are usually where you actually get value. Where yeah, I think Coleman, you're kind of essentially assuming he's going to be the man, which is which is where smart money is. But um, that's baked into his ADP already. So I, I've been targeting Breida the most out of the three. He has that like I think Coleman has that Latavius kind of upside. Um, in the sense that, like, this Niners offense, Jimmy Garoppolo, another guy that could lead uh, his team to, to having a really good offensive year. And if Coleman is going to be that, quote-unquote, big back, I mean, he's probably would get the goal line work. And, and San Francisco has struggled to throw the ball around the goal line. Uh, one of the guys that, that, that was brought in to kind of alleviate that maybe a little bit, uh, Debo Samuel has missed a lot of time uh, in the offseason. And then you don't know what Goodwin's role is going to be. You know, he, he scores a lot of long touchdowns, but if, if those aren't necessarily there because his workload is scaled back because you do have some more receivers in the mix. I mean, Coleman could be the guy that benefits in terms of touchdowns. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to project, uh, yeah. be bullish on the touches themselves. Yeah. And Raybon, to your, your point about uh, Kyle Juszczyk as a tight end, uh, sorry, not tight end, a, a fullback who actually sees a lot of usage as a receiver. Like, that's just a staple of, like, the Shanahan system. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something that's been going back, like, all the way to, uh, you know, like, 2008, 2009, when Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator with the Texans. Like, mm-hmm. like their fullback is just going to get targets that otherwise would go to a running back. It just seems like Coleman is going to be such a frustrating own. 
I mean, in best ball, I think you, you can make a case for it, but then it's like, he, there's no, it's like no ceiling baked into this almost at this. Like he would have to essentially run away and, and put Brita completely out of the mix. And I don't, again, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Brita was better than Coleman last year. So yeah, this is, this is kind of a stay away backfield, but I, I agree. I think Brita is probably the, the, the best uh, value and the guy I target, uh, I would want to target. All right. So heading over to our last team, um, the Seahawks, um, we have Rashad Penny's total touches this year and I'm setting the over under at 175 and a half. I will take the under, but just barely. I have it at 174.8. <laughs> I'm taking the under. I have it uh, significantly more under than that. My concern with Penny is that, yes, he has the first round pedigree, but there seems to be a divide in terms of the front office in, 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 in Pete Carroll and who he wants to play. Uh, the front office, obviously, is incentivized to push Penny to leak good reports about Penny um, for the team to get him and for the team to get him on the field. Pete Carroll will play the guys that he thinks are best. So, yes, Chris Carson is injured, which I think does raise Penny's ceiling. But I think that the issue here is that, you know, they had the three – man commit or it looked like they were gonna have the three-man committee last season with, with Davis and, and Penny and, and Carson and first of all Davis just worked his way into the mix like out of I mean he was he was playing uh, well at the end of the prior year but um, he kind of just essentially took the role that we thought Penny was gonna have and even late in the year after Penny had flashed and kind of looked like he had matured and improved a little bit you know when, when it came time to for, for go time in the postseason Penny wasn't playing so I, I worry a little bit that that Car- uh, Carroll still overwhelmingly favors Carson. And then there's been all this talk about, well, there's a third down back competition and it's between uh, CJ Prosize, JD McKissick and the rookie uh, weight round pick Travis Homer. And there's no talk of Penny in that role, which is interesting because Mike Davis, uh, you know, caught 34 balls last season out of, out of Mike Davis's 146 touches last year, 19% of them came on third down. Guess how many of Penny's 91 tu- uh, 94 touches came on third down? One. One. <laughs> One. That is concerning. Like, it is concerning that it's like if you think that these are your top two backs, we know they probably favor Carson as an early down guy. He profiles as that guy. The way he runs, um, not quite as good in the passing game. Like, why wouldn't Penny be the third down? Like, this is just concerning to me. Um, and I fear that, yes, I think Penny will inherit the, the, the Davis touch uh, carries um, as a spelling of Carson, but I don't know if the overall usage is going to be there uh, for, for him to kind of have a big season unless Carson uh, continues to struggle with injury, which he has, so it's, it's still a possibility. And one thing that factors into this is uh, Seattle was very run heavy last year uh, in the Brian Schottenheimer scheme. And- great, great job by Schottenheimer. Great, just great, great coordinator. And even if you are assuming – that was ridiculous, right, Bond? Even if you are assuming <laughs> that they're going to stay run heavy, I still think you have to project them for fewer than, like, 53% uh, of the, the like, run uh, yeah. pass split that they had last year. So I, I think that could end up factoring into this just in terms of, like, even if Penny gets an enhanced share of the pie, which he should, that pie will be a little bit smaller this year. Yeah, and I still have Penny ranked, you know, uh, right outside the top 30. So, but that is more so because uh, of Seattle is essentially t- probably a top two, three run heavy team in the league. Um, but yeah, um, 
it's still, I don't think that Penny necessarily jumps Carson for any other reason, but injury. Right. Right. Yeah. And I I think that's a good point. And when it, when it comes to the starting running back, I'm a little bit hesitant to set their over under a little too high, but any back or situation where they can benefit from injury or just Mm -hmm. general upside, I tend to think that that, you know, it goes the other way where I, I didn't want to set it too low. Um, yeah, because he has – he's getting 20 – he could get 25 20, – 20 to 25 right. touches a game if any game that Carson's out. We've seen that with Davis. We've yeah, exactly. And the, and the 140, 150 touches from Davis are up for grabs. So there's just – there's more volatility there. So in situations, situations like that, I tend to kind of skew a player like him a little bit higher. But I, I don't feel good about having the over from both of you. Like – I don't like that you guys both hammered the under is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm like 14, every under, but like Kyler Murray and, and Chris Godwin, which is fair. I mean, I, I feel good about that. I think those, those two players are, uh, uh, are primed to explode. Uh, Sean, do you have a final tally on my overs and unders? No, I'll do that after. I kind of just sporadically wrote it in this yeah. Word document, so I don't have yeah. anything formal. But I we'll think I, I probably lean to the overs, which is uh, maybe slightly problematic, but uh, I think I have a, a, enough balance to where I'm not going to be overly concerned on this. Um, Sean, awesome job creating all of these lives for us. Yes. Um, that is the NFC player projection preview. Uh, again, our projections are going to power our customizable fantasy football cheat sheet, which is out July 1st. We will preview our AFC player projections on next week's show. Till then, that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Please rate and review the show in iTunes. For Sean and Chris, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt of the Oracle. See you again next episode. Peace.